search of darkness, all killer, no filler. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Electric Entertainment. I am your host Chris, with me as always is co-host Ryan, and we've got an exciting episode dropping to you, and one that we've talked about a lot because we had anticipated this documentary to come in for quite some time. We were on the front end of, of getting this part three, and we were just waiting and waiting and waiting. It finally arrived, we've had time to actually dig into the many hours that this documentary brings. We're going to get to that here in just a second, but first, if you've not subscribed to our show, you're definitely going to want to be subscribed. We've got a lot of exciting things happening here in Season 3. We've already have had an action-packed year of lots of great episodes, so definitely go back, check those out, but make sure you subscribe because we've got a lot more coming to you the rest of this season and a lot of exciting things, be it through regular episodes or bonus episodes. Also, if you want to interact with us, jump over on our Facebook, Instagram, over on Twitter, even TikTok, but of course, check out Letterboxd because that's where you'll get all of the best movie reviews that are out there. So check those out for sure. Definitely make sure you're subscribed so you're getting everything dropping as soon as it hits the feed. So here we are, Ryan. We're back and with another, I think, pretty big episode. We've talked about these documentaries for quite some time and actually you were the one that kind of got in on the original Kickstarter for the In Search of Darkness documentary. And this is part three of their three-part humongous i mean this is a mega documentary when you pack all three of these together you're you're talking hours and hours and hours of horror documentary information that is almost i mean you have to piece this out because there's so much packed into these but i remember you telling me about these way back a couple years ago and you getting in early on it. I was late to the party, so I ended up having to get some digital copies and actually stream it and was just blown away by how remarkable these documentaries were. So I was lucky enough to be able to snatch on to the trilogy when they put these out again for this part three, but I know you've been involved with part one, part two, and now part three. So we've talked a little bit about this in the past on previous episodes, but... Definitely thought it was a good idea to, now that we've had a chance to really check out this part three, dive into some really some unique films uh, that they showcase within this part three. Thought we could talk about it a little bit. And just initially, overall, In Search of Darkness, I mean, wow. What are, what are your thoughts on the trilogy as a whole and especially this part three as it kind of wraps up that, that series of like mega documentaries of 1980s horror? Hey everybody, yeah, so this is going to be, uh, I think, a really good episode. It's kind of pulling us back into, like, I think our major love when it comes to films or television or whatever, and that's uh, this horror genre. And with In Search of Darkness, I do, I remember a couple years ago when it did come out, what kind of surprised me a little bit was just how it kind of came to be and how it started from this whole, like, kind of crowdfunding standpoint because when you think about documentaries that come out today most of the time they're released by like huge major studios they're backed and they've got a ton of money put into them and it's kind of a rare thing for studio or a, or a small independent company like creator vc to come in and take this task of assembling one not two but three just massive 
documentaries that looked at the history of a specific decade of the horror genre, and we're talking about the 80s. Um, but when it started, I don't think they realized where it was gonna end up, I guess. Like, I don't think they knew the sheer amount of, I mean, I mean, if you look at all these documentaries, like at the end, I always love watching to the very end of these documentaries because when they roll credits, they list the names of every single person who bought a physical copy. Essentially, the people that are buying the physical copies are, are funding their project. And it's so neat to see them show recognition to all these people who not, because not only are the people that are producing and making these, are, they're fans as well, oh, but yeah. they're making it for all of these people that have just grown up and, and, and loved this specific genre. Um, I, I think uh, these last couple of years, I think they've been on a, it's been a very long road for them. Because I, I don't think they knew that they were going to make a sequel. Like when they done the first one, I think they felt like that was going to be it because they didn't have the money. They didn't, I mean, I think the the interest in, in, in the fan base are the two things that I think powered and ignited their enthusiasm to come back and say, wait a minute, we haven't even scratched the surface on what we can talk about. And I mean, there's there was so many films that they left untouched before they came back with yeah. part two. The and so I, I was just so glad that um, they kind of seen it through and they came back and, and, and were able to discuss a lot of these films that we'll talk about some of them uh, right now. Yeah, and before we get there, we may, we may get to this, I don't know, we'll see, but as part of this part three, there's a special feature where they actually have a discussion with some of the creators of In Search of Darkness and the, the main executive producer, Robin Block. He talks with David Weiner and he kind of describes the early vision of Creator VC because I never knew what Creator VC really stood for the VC part of it but it was Creator Venture Capital and he's like you know we've gotten so far away from the venture capital side of it to it being this fan base fan funded Kickstarter that like you just described all of the fans that were part of the original getting it started that purchased a physical release of it early on as like a pre-order are given their names in the credits as part of making this happen and i know they had originally got gotten started with in search of the last last action hero we've also talked about in search of tomorrow and this is really the 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 love that uh, Robin talks about with the horror genre of the 1980s being just really his passion project. And like you say, it, it got started with part one, but there is so much in 1980s horror that it just, there's just so much that they could talk about. So they brought that part two because the fan base was driving so hard behind it and then here we are with part three even more when you when you thought how much more could they talk about they bring over five hours more of discussion into 1980s horror and it it he describes it a little bit because uh david wayner is the one that kind of wrote it directed it put it all together and he's like he does such a a remarkable job and it's such kind of high standards it's like he puts 
five hours were over five hours worth of documentary together and it's like there's no places to cut on it because he does such a great job and i totally agree with him what was unique about this one that was a little bit part two i think did a little bit of this but not nearly as much as what part three does and i know when they were making this they were reaching out to the fan base to say hey look what movies are out there that we haven't covered that you'd like to see us cover and i think that's why we've got a lot of obscure type movies on the list how many are on this that they they ended up covering at there was like, what, 80? Is that right? Yeah, I believe there was a total of 80. So uh, like 80, and... yeah, 80 films that they end up covering and talk to some 70 people that talk about these films all along the way for some five plus hours. So there's no way we're going to dive into all of this for sure. What we want to do is just kind of highlight some of the things that caught our attention along the way. And here's the crazy thing. What I think we ought to talk about is what their next horror project is, because that is kind of just starting to get off the ground as they move into the next decade of horror. But we'll get there here in just a minute. So what kind of comes to mind as some of the movies that just stood out in this part three? Um, let's just kind of take it from there. What what are some of the ones that were like, you know, I knew about those films, but not necessarily knew of them as much until it was kind of brought to light through this part three documentary through In Search of Darkness. So I, th I think my number one that, um, so this was a film that it never really seen the light of day. I mean, I knew about it obviously from the original, the first one, because I loved the first one so much. And I don't know, years later, I didn't even realize they made a sequel because they didn't know that it, they didn't think it was going to make any money at the bottom. It, they were, it was just, a movie that the studio they were going to make it just to make it i mean i don't think it ended up making any money but it became like a kind of a cult film mm -hmm. and i was just so glad i was so glad to see him cover it in this documentary because for years you couldn't um find a physical copy of it and, and i still think it's kind of hard like on the market to find it like i don't think it, this film has like an actual an official like physical release i think you can get like a region b of it but years ago i bought a bootleg of it but the film i'm talking about is uh, fright night part two. Oh yeah and it's the sequel to the original uh 1985 fright night so the i mean it's it's not like you know it wasn't like the greatest sequel ever but it brought back a lot of the main characters which kind of surprised me that they were able to bring them back from the original one and it de deals with like vampires and so it has more it leans more like on kind of like the monster yeah. side of horror um and that's kind of hard to do because i think in the 80s you know the 80s was dominated by slashers oh yeah you know, first and foremost like i think almost every horror film or every other horror film was a slasher film so it was rare to get some like monster kind of horror films in the 80s and they were kind of few and far between but when they did put them out you know i think that fright night if you want to call it a franchise they only yeah. made two but i think they in for me in my mind they kind of stick out as like you know some of like the better monster kind of horror films from the 80s but but yeah i was glad they kind of took the time to cover it um yeah it, and that like one like i said it, it it's just one that's um like i said it's so hard to get a hold of like you can't you can't really find it anywhere yeah and that one came in so that one was at the tail end of the 80s so 1989 is when fright night 2 was covered and so what's 
great about these documentaries, if you don't know, um, and we've covered this before, they go for each year through the decade of the 80s. So 1980, 81, 82, 83, 84, all the way up to 1989. And, and in between those years, they've got these short little documentaries about different topics that they cover in between those years, which is very unique too. One that I was kind of surprised, I guess I'll, I'll mention, and it was 1989. And I was surprised that it wasn't covered earlier in part one or part two. And that was Puppet Master. I mean, Puppet Master is a full moon feature um, and kind of a lower budget type film. But I remember when I was a kid, I mean, Puppet Master, I always seen it at like the VHS stores. And it was one that I always loved to actually rent and watch. And I was just kind of surprised it took so long to get it uh, highlighted within the series. And like I say, that it wasn't at least covered in part two, but it did finally make it in part three. So I was happy there too. So that would probably be my 1989 pick for glad they finally covered the original Puppet Master for this In Search of Darkness documentary. Yeah, that that's one of those franchises that, I mean, gosh, it reminds me of um, Amityville. It's like... <laughs> Heck, they've got like 12 of them or so, I think. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And they're supposed to be making another one here here soon. So, yeah, tons of them. Yeah. Yeah. With it's never ending, I think, with um, Puppet Master. Because it's just, um, it's one of those over the top, like, um, it's such a ridiculous kind of story with, you know, all those characters. It's it's hard to, I don't know. It's hard to. Believe or, but I, yeah, I've there's some, there's a few of them that I've enjoyed. Oh, definitely. yeah, they've been pretty good. Yeah, they, it, it depends. Some of them are pretty cheesy, but definitely one that I remember from being a little kid. I, I'm gonna say one that I was glad they highlighted, and also one that has been hard to get that you've really had to get bootlegs of up until it sounds like this year, which Synapse is and partnership with uh, Red Shirt Productions is going to put out on a 4K release later this year. I'm assuming around October. But that is Trick or Treat and not Trick or Treat. The 1980s, actually 1986 Trick or Treat, uh, which has Ozzy Osbourne and others uh, within that film. And that's one I never really, I've never even, I've never seen it. I've just heard about it. Uh, I don't have a bootleg copy of it, but definitely will be picking it up. And I was glad they kind of highlighted it because it gave you a little sense of kind of what to expect with it. And the the nice thing that they do with these, they'll play clips of the trailer and, and clips of the movie, but then they'll have people from that was either involved with the film itself or people that really love the film uh, talk about it, which is really good. So I was glad that one was highlighted here in part three. Yeah, yeah, there again, um, you know, another kind of one of those um, films that uh, definitely surprises you that, that they included it. But I think after the, you know, after two of these documentaries, um, I think they were able to open it up a little bit more and add some of these kind of, yeah, obscure, very lesser known films. Let's go uh, this way. I'm curious. I'm going to randomly pick a few films from each year or a film from each year and see if it's a film that you've watched. 
the first year starting in 1980. I know you have watched this one, but I'm curious to get your take on it first. And then the other ones, I'm just going to randomly pick movies to see if you've seen them. Uh, the first one from 1980, The Children. And you've recently picked this up and, and recently watched it, I believe, right? So what's your take on The Children that was highlighted oh, in this documentary? Yeah, The Children. I Man, yeah. I This was one that I just kind of took a chance on. And I, I know we're kind of like both the same way. Uh, Blind the, by it. Oh, yeah, one of the boutique labels we always buy from, Vinegar Syndrome. Yep. Uh, I'd seen it on their, um, on their, all the films that that they have for sale, and, and and I came across it. I'm like, man, I'm gonna, you know, it looks good. I'm gonna check it out. So I ended up buying it. Ended up watching it. Fell in love with it. Like it's just, it, you know, made on like a shoestring budget. They had like no money, but oh my gosh, it. It was shot so well, and then I just I loved the music in it because uh, the same guy who scored uh, the original Friday Thirteenth, Harry Manfredini. Uh, yeah. Like if anyone wa- if any if anyone watches the children, you're gonna think you're watching a Friday the Thirteenth because he basically ripped the score because he he scored the children before Friday the Thirteenth came out. So in a sense, the children and Friday the Thirteenth they both have like the identical score. Yeah. And, um, and, but it, it just makes it. It's like, um, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of good, um, like suspenseful scenes in it. Um, it's very, I think, I think anytime you can like incorporate children into like a horror film, it just makes it like that much more creepy. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, I highly recommend it. I, I, it, it just kind of shocked me they added it because I literally bought it like two months before the doc- documentary came out. So I, I didn't even know they were going to include it in this part three so it was kind of cool to see that i'm like oh i just bought that yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah it, it's pretty neat it is cool to if you've just watched a movie too and then they cover it because anytime it's really fresh in your mind and, and they talk about it, it you can sometimes pick up different perspectives about it what is interesting i remember you mentioning this to me and i had to go dig in a little bit to find it but i ended up having a used copy of the children that came out but this is not the vinegar syndrome release but what is unique is this is a trauma release and a lloyd kaufman film that lloyd kaufman was involved with early on so some of those trauma uh, movies that they released years and years ago well what this one's 1980 are getting kind of picked up and redistributed through is that that one was a vinegar syndrome release it wasn't a partner label right it was a vinegar syndrome title that was released the one you got yeah yeah it came i think out, that's right um, strict yeah solely through vinegar syndrome yeah so i think they've yeah. picked up and distributed several of the trauma titles and yeah i had thought i had this and ended up finding it and got to watch it it is a it's a fun little flick so i was glad they highlighted it too uh, all right yeah it's yeah I, I i definitely recommend it for sure yeah absolutely 1981 i'm gonna just pick one off this list because they covered uh let's see nine movies uh with 1981 and have you ever watched hell night no i haven't but i had heard of it um because it's it's kind of one of those it's kind of like a generic kind of like movie title you know yeah and I had seen it I don't know I'd come across that name for that movie I don't know a long time ago but um, um, 
No, I I never never watched. Have you Have you seen it? Well, I have. I picked it up because Scream Factory released it, but it has Linda Blair in it, a little bit older, um, and she stars in it as one of the actresses. So it is a. I, it's been a little while since I watched it, um, but it. It's a good one, and I would recommend it. But yeah, Screen Factory has that one. I forget when I picked it up from them. It must have been one of their sales or something that they had. I watched it shortly after I got it. So yeah, it, it's a good one. 1982. Um, this is one I picked up. I have not watched it yet and was curious to see if you've seen it. Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Not at all, and that's Not just at all. the weirdest. <laughs> I've that's and that's the weirdest movie title ever. Like, yeah, I seen I seen they were covering that in this, and I'm like, what in the world? Where'd that come? I, I think it it must have been like a definite recommendation from one of the creators or something because. I don't think they would have just thrown thrown it in this documentary, you know? Yeah, I think there were several that were... And I think it is a, kind of a well-known, like, VHS cover artwork-type release because I think that's what a lot of this was, too, was the, the fans that recommended certain titles that they put in here, which I think leads me to 1983... Because this is another one with artwork that I think is one. It's a title I per, I got from, I forget the label that put it out. I, I can't remember. Uh, but it is Curtains. Curtains, yeah. I That's that's one I've, I've never heard of yeah. ever before. Yeah, so there's a lot of, a lot of different ones that are kind of odd odd ones out there but i i would probably guess you've probably heard of this 1984 film the new york ripper oh yeah yeah, yeah blue underground point. put that one out recently and actually has a four a really nice 4k release of it that i've watched well i watched it on blu-ray and then watched it uh with this updated 4k release and looks really nice anything blue underground does seems to just be it perfect when they release them and they get like there again that's kind of a another under the radar kind of obscure new york ripper and blue underground yeah they're kind of known for that to get a lot of those um kind of films um and yeah they do like i mean just i mean all those labels all of them they just it's unbelievable like what has been coming out and yeah um I'm so thankful for him too because we we wouldn't get the chance or the opportunity to oh, be able to see any films in the kind of pristine uh, you know version that they put out. Like they're I mean back then you know when we've talked about it so many times back then you just you couldn't the only thing you could get your hands on is a VHS tape and, oh, and yeah. that was that was kind of hard to do back then too. So absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I mean we're just oh man this is. The golden era, I think, of physical media. Yeah, for sure. The other one, since we're mentioning Vinegar Syndrome, this is one they recently released that I picked up. And again, this is 1984, um, but I I just wanted to mention it because it's a really nice release that they had put out, and that is Don't Open Until Christmas, or Don't Open Till Christmas. Have you picked that one up from Vinegar Syndrome, or is that one that you haven't picked up yet? Yeah, that's one... um, that I haven't, I'm going to, uh, and I had heard of it because I think originally it had a different um, title. I think it was going to be named, it was named, because 
that's what happened like in the 80s with a lot of these horror films a lot of them would start out with the title and then and like right up right before release date they changed the freaking name of it like literally like hours before like i don't know why that is or why they yeah i think the director wanted it a different name to be honest and yeah. actually i think it was filmed with two it, it was i forget how it was but it was like filmed with two different guys that were the main actor in it and it was almost like two different yeah. movies that were tied together and then he like you said he had a different name for it so i have picked that one up i've watched it it's okay um but it was good to see it highlighted here all right the next one for 1985 this is a stephen king's film have you ever watched cat's eye uh no i i haven't but i knew i've heard of it yeah um because back then he wrote oh my gosh tons like, i don't know how many novels that got adapted into into films you know cujo yeah christine i mean but cat's eye i think and um another one salem's lot like there was so many that he wrote that weren't like huge successes and cat's eye was kind of one of them it wasn't like a major like blockbuster or anything yeah but i had heard of it yeah so night on the no notoriety 1986 is there's a few i want to get your thoughts on and one that you had mentioned to me because i ended up having to get a, a bootleg of it but is supposed to get a 4k release is my understanding from some studio i think second sight um but that's the hitcher Oh my gosh, yes. This was one. Man, yeah, I totally forgot that they covered that in this. Yeah. See, because I'd watch, when I got my physical copy, like, in the mail, I watched it right away. So it's, I've been, you know, it's been a bit, a minute, you know, it's been a while since I'd watched this documentary. But yeah, I totally forgot they covered The Hitcher. Man, this movie, oh my gosh. This was, um, I, I absolutely love this film. Um, because it, it's more on, like, the uh, suspense side. It's, I mean, yeah. it, there is a little bit of There's a little bit of horror in it. But man, it's like one, one of the best suspense films that I've ever seen. It's got, um, at the time, he was kind of a young actor. Uh, I think his name is Charles, Charles Howell, I think, was his name. He was the young kid that plays, like, the, um, um, you know, kind of like the, the hero, and but I love like the, the the beginning of this film, like the opening, like because like he does like the number one thing that like no one should ever do is like you, you never pick up a you never yeah. never pick up a hitchhiker, especially like when it's almost dark. So like it's almost like dusk, and this young kid, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive along. <laughs> oh, this guy needs a ride. I'm gonna pick it. Pulls off. I mean, that just opened up the window to horror. Yeah, and like. But the, the villain, though, the bad guy, I can't remember the actor's real name, but man, he was so, not just like scary, but like anytime. Just very like, menacing, yeah. Yeah, his eyes, like, and it's all in his eyes. Like, when you're watching like, any scene he's in, if you just like notice and, and see his eyes, like his eyes are just like, uh, I, they're so piercing. Like, you can't, like, they just like <laughs> draw you in. You can't like escape it. And he was, he was very vicious. I know one of the scenes, like the young kid, character Charles Howe plays his girlfriend like the guy ties his girlfriend to like the end of a car and like a semi or a pickup and he's gonna like split her in half and he does and like you know they cut away of course but I mean how brutal is that like the guy he didn't know the kid yeah. and he, he gets a ride gets picked up and he like just viciously murders his girlfriend but so yeah before the documentary like you 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 had heard of the hitcher or you never heard of it until well, I told you or you had told me about it um i mean i had heard of it i never watched it just because it was 
hard to get. Like I say, the only way to get it was through a bootleg and was able to get that, but was definitely excited to hear that it's going to be officially released. And I believe through Second Sight on a 4K sometime this year. But yeah, I would be awesome because you're right. Like you can't find it anywhere. No, no. And it is a great movie. Yeah, I watched it by picking up a bootleg of it, uh, which is a really good release of, of it that they had put together, which is another hot topic right now. It seems like on over on YouTube, there's a lot of YouTubers talking about bootlegs. And, you know, I guess I'll weigh in my opinion here on bootlegs. The, the drama back and forth on bootlegs is, well, you're taken away from the studios by purchasing bootlegs. Problem is, we're talking about purchasing films that you can't get from studios because they're not releasing them so if that's the only avenue to get it and and even buying bootlegs i've bought the bootleg of the hitcher i'm still gonna buy the 4k release from second sight or whoever it is when the official release comes out that's the thing it's like i'm not hurting the companies by getting these i'm sending the message of hey this is a film that is wanted by a lot of people and this is the only way we can get it right now until you release it officially and then we're going to buy it from you officially so i think having people that provide those long lost films on a blu-ray format that you can't get anywhere i mean i'm i'm glad they're doing a service to the collectors by being able to provide those movies and that they're not completely lost and still being able to send that message to the studios that hey we still want physical media release the movies and i'm glad to hear that the hitcher's actually coming out on an official release yeah it's like blows my mind that studios are still sitting on like so much in their archives of films that still haven't seen any sort of physical release and like they're you know sitting on money that could be made and like they don't realize like they're yeah we're we're just one of many many people that yeah and i think i think disney's realizing that now especially with their new uh, ceo that's come in i mean yeah there was disney plus there was a certain number of subscribers those subscribers have kind of dropped off and they're sitting on all of this media not just their media but like fox and all of these movies that are out there and it's like disney is just sitting on a gold mine of physical media that they could release that they know they have millions of people that would want to purchase that material it's like just put it out there and make the money yeah like uh one studio that um i think or uh, i think i don't know if it comes out maybe a little bit later this year or it's already out i'm not sure but uh warner brothers i'm sure you've seen it like they're putting out this massive oh yeah um, those four collections of movies that they're finally releasing yeah yeah. like celebrating their history and like you know i mean they're doing something right there like you know because it's it's films movies that yeah people want to have yeah physical copies of and um i think it's neat that how studios especially Warner Brothers, can put out like a huge box set like that. Celebrate. And I think it's like for celebrating 100 years, maybe, of the studio. Yep. I'm not sure. Yep. Because there, I mean, cause there's people out there that's going to buy them. Like, I, Absolutely. They, they, I mean, if they take a chance on, like, look at, like, speaking of any studio, look at all the films that get put out that are like flops that are like, I mean, they took a chance on those. Yeah. If, you know, 
they could turn a proctor or not. Well, take a chance on physical, you know, any sort of physical media and put out films that yeah. uh, might make money or might not. I mean, what's yeah? Yeah, and it's definitely just, put out the ones put out the ones that you know are going to make money that are just sitting on a shelf that yeah. You know, have made money before and are going to continue to make money through a physical release. All right, so off the soapbox, I guess on on that, but um, definitely yeah. need to have more physical media. That's that's def- definitely a must. Slaughter High, so Vestron Video. This one's out on their Vestron Video Collection series on Blu-ray. Have you watched Slaughter High? I have. Yeah, I've got I've got the Vestron. Um, yeah, Blu-ray release of it. Yeah, yeah, I figured so. That one's yeah. that one was a good one. one. I was glad early. to see it highlighted on the documentary. Yeah, yeah. It, it actually surprised me that they waited this long to highlight it. I, I figured it, it would show up in the first or the part two. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, I consider it kind of one it, of the staple oh, yeah. classic and it's slashers got, of the 80s. It's got that classic artwork too i mean that vestron what's nice about vestron video in their collection series there is they use that vhs artwork on those releases which is very cool all right um 1987 this one had some unique ones in it one that i i was glad to see him highlight it i know uh shout factory scream factory just put out a two-part 4k release of part one and part two and that's slumber party massacre part two which was highlighted on this release of the documentary which i really like um but i was curious jaws the revenge i never i and i've watched them all i've i've watched every single one of the jaws um the first one's obviously a classic and i think really made it made spielberg a name for himself and it Kind of, I think what Jaws kind of did for like the cinema going audience, it, I think it was like the first true like summer blockbuster. But uh, oh my gosh, I think with all those sequels, it just took like a massive nosedive. Like all, I don't, and I don't know if you've seen all of them, but I think all the sequels absolutely suck. <laughs> like, are they you gonna really care. tell me the shark followed him <laughs> all the way to Hawaii? Like, that just, it blows my mind. No, the shark's yeah. not out. Like, no, it's not that smart. It's not going to follow. Like, I mean, because there's like, what, millions of sharks or that hundreds of thousands of sharks in the ocean. Yeah. There's no way this one specific shark's going to follow this family. No. Like, I don't know. They're, I mean, it was going to make money. Yeah. But they, I think they could have came up with a better story or I mean, don't you think? Yeah, I think the suspense that Steven Spielberg brought to Jaws, the original, was such a, definitely a classic, and it just kind of went off the rails, I think, on on the others. So Jaws the Revenge came out in 1987, and it's the direct sequel to Jaws 2, but it ignored the events of Jaws 3D. So yeah, see, it was like off the rails. (laughs) <laughs> the rails yeah, it, these yeah. sequels yeah. did with Jaws. They didn't even connect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they didn't connect. Uh, yeah. Like three, the third one, the 3D was like a gimmick one off. Yeah. Which was so, happening a lot around that time. But yeah, yeah, definitely a gimmick to try to try to yeah. cash in so, on, on the name. So yeah, I think it would have done better if they could have came up with like a better story. Yeah. You know? um, For sure. Um, there was one, actually, I went to Disc Replay 
today, and one on the 1987 list was Blood Rage. Have you ever watched Blood Rage? No, and I've, I, uh, I never, I've never even heard of it. Oh, you I got just it. found oh, it. I just it found it at Disc Replay really? for ten bucks today, actually. Wow, so Arrow. yeah, Arrow really? Video. Arrow. Yeah. So I'm. I've not seen it. I'm excited me. to. Yeah. Check it out. Yep. Nineteen. Uh, 1987. There. So I'll be checking uh, that out soon. 1988. Cool. There was a long list from 1988. Actually, like ten that they highlighted. If I'm not mistaken, a couple of them that I definitely have watched and enjoyed one sleepaway camp two i really like all the sleepaway camp films i oh yeah. have you caught them all like all three of them oh yeah yeah i think all yeah. of those are oh, great definitely i was glad they highlighted that another one return of the living dead part two they highlighted don't panic is one that was a vinegar syndrome release that i don't know do you, have you watched it or have it don't panic well, so, no, I haven't. I've heard of it, but isn't that a film that recently had a remake a couple years ago? I'm not uh, mistaken. I'm not sure. It, maybe. Maybe so. I, I think it, yeah. I think I remember, because when they started talking about it in the documentary, I'm like, man, I've heard of that. And, and I was thinking that it got a remake or something a few years back, but um, no, maybe. I don't have a copy of it, but it's one that I probably will pick up. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. The one that I was curious about, if you've seen that, I got, I think it was 101 Films. I had it imported, and that's The Brain, which is kind of cheesy, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've Yeah, I've heard of it, and I think I have seen it. And I, I might have a copy of it, but yeah. yeah, it was very, yeah, it was like almost like lower than B-Horror. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, like no budget. <laughs> Yeah, you already talked about, so 1989, Fright Night Part 2, Puppet Master, there were a few others. They ended with Grave Robbers, and I think that was a Vinegar Syndrome release, too, if I'm not mistaken. So, Vinegar Syndrome yeah. titles were well covered in Part 3 of In Search of Darkness, which was pretty cool, I thought. But I guess that makes sense, oh, yeah. because when they're kind of dipping into the last of the not the last but kind of the more obscure horror titles of the 1980s for part three i mean that's what vinegar syndrome does best at by bringing those to a beautiful release on blu-ray with great special features great uh, artwork great slip covers everything that every collector is wanting so i think having Part one, part two, part three. If you've not watched these, man, you're missing out because I think each one of these are phenomenal in and of themselves. Having them all together and going through what at more than 12, what 13, 14 hours, I don't know. There's tons of hours of documentary coverage of 1980s horror. You're not going to find a better documentary than In Search of Darkness by any standard in search of darkness blows any documentary away that covers the 1980s horror yeah i yeah for sure for me i think i can sum it up like it is a celebration and a dissertation uh, talking about a specific time where people went to the movies and watched movies just for like just for the pure enjoyment of it you, you know they're not watching a movie and they got their phone down in their lap and they missed three-fourths of the film 
it meant something, I think, during the 80s uh, when people went out to see a movie, whether it was drive-in or the movie theater or you went out and rented a VHS tape. I think what these documentaries do, I mean, not only, obviously, we can beat it to death. Yes, it brings back the nostalgia. But what it does, uh, I know for me personally, it gives me this feeling of what I've always felt, uh, even even in like the mid and late 90s, because you know, I'm a few years younger than you, so when I would rent movies, I mean, I rented movies in the late 90s and I was still renting VHS tapes, so there was always something about it when you would go, it, the weekend would come up, you'd go rent a movie, like, it was like, there, nothing topped it, it was like the best feeling in the world, like, I'd rent so much and I'd, I'd record them, like, I'd buy blank, yeah. you know, recording tapes, record the crap out of them, and... <laughs> It just it, it does something to you, and like I, like I'm on the fence. Like I'm on on the fence of what do I enjoy more in these films that they're talking about, or watching them talk about the films. Like I love people and interactions when they're talking yeah. about all these films that back then when they were made, no one cared about. But that's the crazy thing. Like back then when they were made and they got released, they didn't hardly make no money, and no one cared about them. Now they're beloved by millions. Oh my it's like gosh, the coolest yeah. thing ever. Getting remarkable releases on a 4K disc with tons of special features. Can you imagine? They would have never thought that anything like that would be yeah. happening this many years later. It, it's just remarkable. And I agree. I think getting to watch some of the filmmakers, the actors, some of the people that covered these films, some of the, even like Vinegar Syndrome is on some of these documentaries talking about them, Synapse or Severin. These labels are on here talking about movies and getting to just see the passion and the love for the films like we love them and getting to just hear them talk about them is just so amazing. And I'm so glad they put the time, the effort. I'm so glad we were able to support them in making these come into existence because, I mean, this is a definitive 1980s documentary and one that is going to cover not completely everything, but almost everything that you could cover with 1980s horror. Now, shifting a little bit, because uh, as we wrap up here, I want to just talk a little bit about what's coming next for In Search of Darkness because they move into the next decade, the 90s. And Ryan, this is this is your prime years, I'm sure, too, of the 90s. And a lot of people kind of complain a little bit about the 90s. And I mean, horror, you think 1980s was the... That was the the boom in horror movies but you know when you start looking at the list of 1990s horror movies and especially with kind of what scream ended up doing as well they've got a lot to dig into and what i am excited about is they're continuing this in search of darkness on into the 90s with i think part one of this being 1990 to 1994 what are, what are your thoughts on what to expect from the 90s as in search of darkness continues oh my gosh yeah i actually think this uh next uh edition of insert i think this will rival the 80s because if you'd ask me personally like i think i have kind of more of a love for 90s horror um as opposed to the 80s um because there was just I mean, just, I mean, so many that um, that came out in the 90s that were so memorable. 
And I think when they dig into it, yeah, there's going to be some awesome discussions. I mean, we're talking about uh, we're talking about the people under the stairs. We're talking about misery. Oh man, uh, talking about yeah, the Scream franchise. Talking about Candyman. It. We're talking about another an, another yeah, it another big franchise in, that dominated the '90s was Hellraiser. I freaking love Hellraiser. Tremors. Um, and a personal favorite personal favorite of mine is uh, Arachnophobia. It's oh like yeah. One of those, just I mean. I can watch it over and over, and it's, you know, dealing with spiders, and it's like, I mean, how's that scary? I'll tell you what, I'm terrified of spiders after watching that film. But yeah, arachnophobia. There's just, yeah. Dracula. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. But I think what brought, because I think going into the early 90s, there was kind of like horror, it felt like horror was like past its prime or past its time, and it's like, man, there's just nothing going, but man, when Scream came out in 96, I think oh, it, it revived horror. It, it did, just, it was enormous, it was huge. It well, resurrected, it could, I think, horror. Yeah, and here we are, even this year, 2023, seeing uh, the sixth movie in that franchise, and starting in the 90s, yeah, it kind of took all the tropes of the original horror movies and turned them on their head and I think revived the the genre of horror as we know it and I think it's continued on and I think it really drove the love too of what we know today as making sure that horror was not going to die and that it would continue on and I mean, we've seen all kinds of things revive in the 90s. Halloween, 20 years later with H2O. I mean, there was just so much that happened in the 90s with the Blair Witch yeah. Project and just so many things well, that, that revived the genre in a new way. Well, and I think what put horror on the map, because we're kind of, we're leaving out, I think, probably the biggest horror film from the 90s, is the only horror film to ever win best picture and we're talking about silence of the lambs like it like changed i mean it really did it changed what how people perceived a horror film because before the 90s people were like they laughed at horror films they're like we ain't gonna watch that garbage we ain't gonna watch that crap i'll tell you what if the story's right the characters are right you can tell a fascinating story in a horror setting a horror genre and i mean that film just spoke volumes you know, with Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster, like it was, yeah, it's one of my one of my favorites from the '90s, definitely. Absolutely. So we've got a lot to look forward to. In Search of Darkness is not gone. It's coming in strong, I think, for this next decade. If you've not checked out In Search of Darkness, you can hop over on '80s uh, Horror Doc and check out what is happening with that coming up. Also, um, you can kind of check out when they're going to drop because they do like flash sales and and whatnot of being able to get these on a physical release. These are definitely ones you're going to want to pick up uh, when and if you can because if you like documentaries, if you like horror, if you like 80s, you're going to love In Search of Darkness, and there's hours upon hours that you get to enjoy it. The good thing is if you can't purchase the physical media copy now, you can actually pick it up, I think, on digital platforms, but also I believe Shudder is streaming that to where you can actually check it out as well. So I would say support In Search of Darkness uh, if you can, as much as you can. That way we're continuing to support a good group of people that are making 
just remarkable documentaries and this is definitely one I love. I would rate it out of uh, horror documentaries, Ryan, out of how many skulls are we going to rate this? I'm going to say 10 out of 10 for a horror documentary. What would you say? Oh, for sure. I'd rate it 11 out of 10. <laughs> there you go. That? I'm going to say, I'm gonna say 11, 11 out of 10. 11 skulls out of 10 for In Search of Darkness. Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. Go check them out. Find them where you can. You're not going to be disappointed. This is a great documentary. The team over at Creator VC, we really appreciate all the hard work and effort that goes into these, and we are really looking forward to the 1990s decade of horror in the next installment of In Search of Darkness. Until next time, check us out on all our social media platforms. Make sure you're subscribed, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Electric Entertainment. Peace. Peace.